Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Sierra. Sierra Mayfield is a 21-year-old happiness coach who is on a mission to help other young women in their early 20s create joy in their life, live with purpose, and without negativity getting in the way. She discusses all things happiness on her podcast, The Joy Life, which will be linked up in the show notes for anybody who wants to check it out. Sierra has learned how to successfully manage anxiety and depression. I'm still working on the anxiety aspect of things. I'm telling you. It's kicking my butt. Uh, cope with intense grief, deal with toxic relationships, and overcome hardships that got in the way of her living life as joyfully as possible. She will be a psychology student at Ohio <laughs> State University in fall 2020 to receive her bachelor's and take her coaching business to the next level. And I think it really will. Um, coaching is what inspired me to go to school for psychology. So. Uh, Sierra is a big believer in the power of a good cup of coffee, yells every time she sees a cute dog anywhere, and loves Harry Potter maybe a little too much. I don't think you can love Harry Potter too much, ever. I have a tattoo, so it's it's on me forever. Everyone will know. <laughs> I want to get a Harry Potter tattoo, too. And my husband's like, why? I was like, because I love Harry Potter. Girl, think, just go for it. It's going to be the best decision you've ever made. <laughs> you think so ridiculous. But one of my close friends just got a uh, mischief managed tattoo and it's got like uh, an outline of the, the parchment and everything. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's incredible. <laughs> I know. I, when she got it, I was like, that is so cool. Um, I just don't, I don't do tattoos on my arms already. I have one on my wrist, but I don't do them on my arms. Just, just my, my personal preference. Um, Mm -hmm. I have nothing. I think it's beautiful when people do it. I just, it's just me. Um, (laughs) that's just me. (laughs) Yeah. I just like to hide mine. Um, it's probably how I was brought up, indoctrinated growing up that I just never have. Um, but yeah, I have one on my wrist. Uh, but my friend has like, she's, it looks like she's starting a sleeve, like, cause she's got that oh. one and she's got a couple of other ones. And I'm like, Oh, it looks really nice. Those looks- are really, really good looking. Yeah. I yeah. know. <laughs> but when people can pull them off, I'm like, man, that looks so good. Cause I see <laughs> tattoos as like a form of art. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Some people I know have their like get up to about tattoos and they don't even, they see me and they'll say things about people with tattoos. And I'm like, I got like five of them. Y'all just don't see them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I have actually, I have one on my back that most people hardly ever see. And people are always surprised. So I have three total tattoos, but right now you can only see two of them. And they're like, you have three. And I'm like, yeah, like you can't, I'm not always like showing off every single tattoo every minute of every day. Right. Cause I got yeah. the one on my wrist is the semicolon. I don't know if you can oh, see yeah, it yeah. Yeah. Um, for suicide awareness. And that's the only one that if you notice, you might be able to see, but most people aren't looking at my small. wrist. It is. Yeah. It's really small. So you, it's, it's hard for people to see it anyways. Uh, so yeah, sometimes I surprise people with like, I got five tattoos. 
<laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, we're not supposed to like, well, this is not about tattoos. Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately, as much as I love to talk about that, my daughter just got one. I just took her to get one. Um, and she was like super stoked. And I was like, well, That's I got amazing. my first one when I was your age. I don't care. Yep. We had rules, you know, we didn't want her to get any ones that were visible until she's 18. If she wants to do it, then that's her choice, but I don't want her doing mm -hmm. it now. And then she's 16 and regret regretting it. Um, so I told her no visible tattoos. I told her, um, it had to have like, it couldn't have like G E Z on her back or some <laughs> shit like that, that, you know, 50 years from now, she's gonna be like, why? Why do I have good parenting advice right there? <laughs> <laughs> nobody's names, nobody's names, none of that's nothing. Yes. So, um, she went and got one, and she's all good now. She's she didn't expect it to be as painful as it was. Yeah, it's the first time is definitely a little off putting, and then once you get your first one, you just have tattoo fever forever. Oh yeah, but. I did. That's where the that's where one, two, three, three of them came from tattoo fever. Like it, all within like a year, I got three of them. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been good about spreading mine out. Mine are all about a year apart. But just like a couple weeks ago, I went with my best friend to get her new tattoo, and I like I had just gotten one like a month before that, and I was like, I want to get another one. I should just get another one right now. And she was like, Don't do that. You're not gonna like it. And I was like, <laughs> You're right. You're right. But also, I want to do it. But you're right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, space them out. It's the best thing to do because some of mine, I'm like, why did I even get that? Like, I have my daughter's name across my lower back. Uh, my daughter's name is a tramp stamp. Okay, like I want that covered up so badly. It's not even funny, and I'm like, but it's black, so to cover it up would I just? Uh, my husband's like, why'd you do that? And I was like, I don't know. I was like 20. I thought it'd be cool. I didn't know that was a tramp stamp. I didn't think about when people might see it. Well, it at least it's hidden most it? of the time. Yeah. <laughs> Although oh, when I was amazing. younger and, you know, uh, like the lower, the, um, the low pants were in, like where you sat down and your butt crack hung out basically. Yeah. yeah. I would sit down and that would show. So people thought that was my name. Why would I tattoo my own name? on me i have no idea i'm sure someone has done it honestly <laughs> probably probably <laughs> anyways better get on with the show um <laughs> so when you applied to be on the podcast you talked about open up about your emotions i would love to have you take us back to when you felt like you were stifling those emotions and you weren't opening up with them and, and what that led to yeah so my story with that really started about 11-ish years ago, I would say. So it's definitely been like the later half of my life. And it's been a long journey for sure. It wasn't something that happened like over a year's time by any means. But when I was 10 years old, I um, went through the loss of my brother. He committed suicide. And that was the first time in my life that I have ever felt like a major loss mm -hmm. because I mean my life wasn't absolutely incredible up until I was 10 but like it was fine and then I went through that loss and it it looking back on it it definitely changed me in a lot of ways and it has it continues to change me as I get older 
but that was the first time looking back on it that I was like, holy shit, I held everything in from going through that process. And it was like, when it happened, I didn't recognize that I was like holding my emotions in because I was 10. I didn't even really like understand what that meant. But definitely looking back on it, that was when I noticed the holding in of everything because I remember the day that we got the news, it was early morning. I was actually standing in the kitchen, looking out the window, waiting for the bus with my mom. And I was getting ready to go to school and like everything was normal. And then my mom got the phone call and I don't really remember everything that happened after that. I think I still to this day, I've kind of just blocked it out a little bit. And then I, after that, those like few minutes went by, I do remember I cried, but immediately I was just sucked it up and I went and I got on the school bus and I went to school. Holy crap. Yeah. And thinking about that now as an adult, it's like, it's almost like, why did no one sit there and be like, no, you're not, you're not going to school today. Um, But my mom is also someone that she knows I have to like go through things on my own time. And I don't think she was going to force me. Like, I think she knew that it probably wasn't the best idea, but like at some point you can't force someone to feel emotions. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I, went out and I got on the bus and I went to school and the rest of the day is a total blur. I have no idea what happened after that. Like it's, I just don't remember any of it. And then I do remember like going to the funeral and I cried at the funeral, but I just, I never really went through the process of like trying to understand what really happened until I got older. And on top of that, being 10 years old and losing your brother to suicide, I don't, I don't think I really grasped what suicide meant at that point Mm -hmm. you know like it was hard enough to just think about my brother wasn't here anymore but to like understand why at such a young age was really 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 difficult and I don't think anyone expected me to understand but just the whole concept of it that was definitely the first time that I like looking back I just shut everything down immediately and then four months after I lost my brother I ended up losing my great-grandmother which that was also really really difficult because um it was again it was four months after I'd already lost my brother and then I my whole family was really close to my great-grandma and I feel very 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 grateful that I got to know my great-grandmother for 10 years of my life because I know that not many people get to say that and so like that's that's kind of a side note to be honest but I just every time I think about that I'm like wow how incredible is it that I knew her for 10 years um But again, it was kind of like, I don't really remember like going through the whole grief process. Like I remember crying when I first heard the news, but, and I remember I cried at the funeral, but other than that, it was kind of like, you know, whatever, almost like I just shut everything down. I actually remember after her funeral, I was in the car with my uncle Andy and they were like trying to talk to me about it, you know, because again, I was 10, I was a young kid. And I literally was like not responsive. I remember sitting there being like, don't talk to me about this, like thinking in my head. And I was just silent. And it's like, you can't do that, you know, when that's a clear sign that you're just trying to hold everything down and then push it away. And both of those losses was, it made the, my age 10 very, very, very difficult. 
And then, so she passed away in April of 2009, if my dates are correct. Well, we'll hope that the dates are correct. Um, and then after that, in I believe June or July, I actually, my mom, uh, my one brother and I, we all packed up our stuff and we moved from Ohio to Pennsylvania. And that's a whole other story as to why we moved there. That's like not even relevant, but we did move there. And so it, it was like so many different things happened so fast at the age of 10. And like moving isn't the most traumatic thing in the world, but it was moving away from everything that I've ever known. And so it was just the whole process. I mean, that was about seven months of time that I went through these three major, major life changes. And I wasn't really opening up about them. I was just kind of like, it was almost like I acknowledged them right when they happened. And then after that, I was like, okay, like on to the next thing. I never really processed them all the way. And that definitely continued to affect me as I got older. But outside of like the actual, like the, the events that happened, the first time that I, again, as I've gotten older, that I've really noticed that I started to push everything down and not talk about my emotions was right after we moved to Pennsylvania. I was in sixth grade at that point. I had just turned 11, moved to a new school. I was the new student, the weirdo in the, in the class that, you know, everybody didn't like. And we were in my English class and we got this new assignment that was to write a short story about something in your life that was you know important to you or changed you or something I don't remember what exactly the assignment was but that was not even a year after I lost my brother and I wrote this short story about the day that I lost him and everything that happened and looking back on it it's like for an 11 year old child in sixth grade that's that's a little dark you know mm -hmm. <laughs> um and my teacher she was doing this thing with each of us in the class where she was kind of pulling us to the side and like she had us read her our stories to just like help us critique them and make them better and i remember i was reading my story to her and i started sobbing in class and thinking about being the new student from a different state that's crying in class talking about the loss of her brother it, like looking back on it the whole thing is like that's so mortifying as an 11 year old child <laughs> and um it was really like I just remember it was almost like I couldn't control it and I think at that moment it was kind of taking some of the emotions that I had suppressed from when it actually happened and it was just flowing out of me without my control and fairly quickly I was able to kind of get myself back together and, and I went to the bathroom and then I was like okay cool I'm fine and I went about the rest of my day but my teacher, I don't remember exactly what she said, but essentially she was like, hey, I think it might be a good idea if you want to see the guidance counselor that we have here at the school. And at the time, I mean, once again, I was 11. I didn't really have any understanding of what a guidance counselor was. It was like, I was kind of was like, oh, like my teacher suggested it. It must be a good idea, whatever. And so I started going to... I think it was about weekly sessions with the guidance counselor, but I remember it was like something in the back of my brain that because I didn't want to talk about the details of what had happened and all of my emotions with it, I started going to these sessions 
And every single question that this guidance counselor would ask me, I would respond with either, yeah, it's all good or, yep, I'm fine. And I would not talk about anything. I would not go into any details. I just was like, everything's cool. Like, I'm all good. And eventually, they just, I stopped getting called in and I didn't have to go to counseling after that. And I think even in my 11 year old brain, I was like, you know, like I, I know a way to get out of this because I don't want to deal with these emotions right now. And I don't think I understood like the depth of that at the time, but it was like, it was just the concept of it. It was like, well, I know that if I tell them that I'm fine, that they're not going to, you know, they can't force anything out of me, you know? And so that was kind of my way of ignoring everything once again. And it like, thinking about that is just so it's it's just crazy to me to think about how much a small like young child was just so like locked down on everything and every after that like nothing really majorly significant happened in my life that kind of caused those similar types of emotions but I have always had pretty severe anxiety and as I was growing up, I mean, I never got diagnosed with anxiety until I got into college. So once I was like in middle school and high school, and I had all this anxiety, it was so, so difficult to try and like deal with it and process all of it without really processing all the emotions that Mm -hmm. came with that, you know? And I mean, of course, like as you're growing up, there's all sorts of things that you grow, that you go through as a teenager and a child that like at the time, are detrimental. I mean, as an adult, you're like, those problems are stupid. But like when you're going through them as like a 14 year old, 15 year old, these they're like, oh my God, these are terrible. And I still was struggling to just really like be open and talk about them and express those emotions. I would just, I, I have always been someone that I might kind of express them right at first. And then after that, it's like, nope, we're not, we're not doing that anymore. And then I'm realizing this story is very, very long. Oh, no, so, keep going. You're good. <laughs> um, the time that I really, really noticed the significance of holding everything in happened in 2017. So going into this story is in August. So that was I was going into my sophomore year in college at the time because um, I have since left school and then I'm going back next year for my psychology degree. But at this point, I was still in school. And in August of 2017, I took this trip from Pennsylvania to Columbus. I was seeing a friend. We were going to see a concert. And I, I didn't have a vehicle at the time. So I took the Greyhound bus, which for everyone listening, I do not recommend doing that ever <laughs> at all because <laughs> it's terrible. Um, but on the way back from Columbus to Pennsylvania, I had a like a, a layover, we'll say in quotation marks, like a plane in Pittsburgh. And long story short, there was a man there that definitely tried to cause me harm. Looking back on it, I, if the situation had escalated any farther than it would have, I do believe that I could have been kidnapped or raped or any number of things. Um, and going through that. At that point, I was able a little bit more to like, just be aware of the situation. And I I went home and I talked to my mom about it. And I was like, freaking out, I was sobbing. And like, I, 
again, it was kind of like right at the start of that, I was, I went through the emotions. And then after that, I was like, eh, I don't want to talk about that anymore. Like, it was really scary. And I'm just like, nope, we're just going to move on from that situation. And the effects that I had from that definitely kind of stuck for the next couple of months, because I would be like, really, really afraid of um, people that looked like that dude or that were the same age of that person. I was especially going to school in Columbus, Ohio, where um, it's, I mean, it's a city and I grew up in the country, so I'm very much not used to city life. And so, yeah, being in that environment where I was always surrounded by people all the time, it definitely was like jarring to me after that situation had happened. And that kind of triggered what I call the worst semester that I have ever had of my college career because I got severely, severely depressed that semester. And I think what kind of kicked it off in terms of um, going into that depression was what happened to me in August and not really talking about it. And also like not talking about everything else. It was kind of like this almost like a lifelong buildup and then everything just crashed down in that semester. And I had started going to therapy and that's in that semester to talk about what had happened to me in August before the school year started. But a part of me, like in the back of my brain, finally realized that it's like, I need counseling more than for just what happened to me in Pittsburgh. Like I need counseling for a lot of things. Right. And um, it, cause I had avoided counseling since the event that I had in sixth grade where I was going for like a few weeks. I had, I was like, I am not going to counseling. I swore against it. I was like, this is not what I want to do. And so going, taking the steps to go into that was a huge, huge, huge deal for me. And so I started going early in the semester, but I still wasn't, I was kind of keeping it to just what happened to me in August. I wasn't talking about everything else because I was still hesitant about really like trusting my counselor. Right. And as the semester went on, my depression just got worse and worse and worse. And I shut down. Like I stopped talking to people. Um, I was not talking about what was going on inside of my head. I was having continuous fights with my boyfriend, like, and we were long distance at the time too. So it was like every phone call we had, I was like getting annoyed or he was getting flustered with me because there, he knew there was something wrong, but I wasn't talking about it. And it was like, every single thing that happened, I just, I was not discussing it. I was like, I am, it was, I turned into a robot really. I mean, I, a robot that slept like all the time because I wasn't talking about anything. And every time I would go to my counseling sessions, it was kind of, I was still talking about like the surface level stuff. I really mm-hmm. wasn't talking about the problems that really, really mattered. And it, it just got so much worse as the semester went on. At one point, the last like month of the semester, I skipped every single one of my math classes and I basically didn't like, I don't know how I passed that class. I think I passed that class with like a C plus because I just slept through everything. I was like, I had no like will to just be a student. All I wanted to do was just stay in my dorm room and do nothing all day. And I wasn't discussing any part of that with anybody. And the really interesting thing about that for me personally is that 
my whole life, I've known people that have anxiety, have depression, have bipolar, have mental illnesses. And so it's, it was almost like a part of me, at least looking back on it now, it's like, how did I not recognize that? Like, how did I not feel comfortable opening it up to someone? Because I, I know people that have that. And I've always been willing to listen to them when they have issues. It's like, why can't I kind of place that same situation onto myself? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, I was like, I am not having it. And then one day towards the end of the semester, I had called my mom. I don't remember for what, but I basically broke down and I was just sobbing on the phone because I, there was so much emotion that I hadn't been talking about. And I hated the major that I was in. I like, there was so, so, so much that I hated about where I was at at that point in my life that I just, I broke down completely. And my mom has had depression my entire life. And she basically said to me, she was like, she's like, Sierra, this is going to be really hard to hear, but I think that you need, like, I think that you're really depressed. And I think you really need to start talking about this to a professional like more than what you're obviously talking about your counseling sessions now. And hearing that from my mom kind of, it, it pushed me a little bit because I've, I've known my whole life that she was, that she's had depression. And so it's like hearing it from someone that, that gets it and has been through that was kind of what made me realize that it's like something has, something has to give, something has to change. And in January of 2018, which was just the start of the spring semester, that was, it was also kind of like winter break before that going into it. It was almost like I woke up. I was like, I cannot keep all of this inside of myself anymore. Like, I'm not a functioning human being by doing that. And I started really, really diving further into what I was having problems with with my counselor. I was actually having real conversations with my boyfriend and letting him in on what was going on. I was talking to my best friend about all of the depression and, and stuff in my past I've been holding down. And it, it really was like, that was the change that I needed. And ever since that, it was, I don't want to call it like a grand awakening or anything, because it honestly wasn't. But looking back on it, that was the moment where I was like, something has to, has to change about this. And ever since then, I have been just like a, a walking, like overflow of emotion that I am in a good way. That's like, it's, it helps me heal through everything. And now I talk about every emotion. I feel every emotion. And it's like this huge weight is taken off of my shoulders in such a good way. So people might be wondering how you learned or what you learned about processing your emotions in a healthy way, because like you said, once you let it go, it all comes tumbling out, but we have to be able to process those in a, in a healthy manner versus those who drown their emotions in alcohol or food or, (laughs) or binge watching TV. Not that there's anything wrong with binge watching TV, but if you're doing it to deal with your emotions, that's a problem. Um, there's nothing wrong with a couple glasses of wine, but if you're drinking a couple glasses of wine to deal with your emotions, that's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. So how, what ways did you learn that are healthy ways of being able to 
you know, manage those emotions? Honestly, it, at some point it has to be just about talking about it because you, there's, in my mind, like there's only so much brain capacity that you have to, at at one time to feel your emotions and to also try to process them all within your own brain. Like if you're not trying to release those in some way, it's, it doesn't quite work. And I mean, obviously talking about your emotions is a very, very hard thing. It's really, really scary. I know when I first started it, I was like, what the hell is this? Like it was not enjoyable, but it, it was finally like the one thing that I was able to get through it because it was, it was a way for me to, it was almost like when I talked about it, I was physically taking that weight off of my chest. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like I was handing it to somebody else to deal with. Like I was still able to be like, these are my own emotions and I, you know, they're not yours, like the person that I'm talking to about it. But it was, it was kind of just like taking it off and just setting it on the floor beside me and almost just like leaving it there. So then all that was left inside of my brain was to just kind of look at it logistically almost of being like, this is what I'm feeling. This is why I'm feeling it. And now I can move on to the next step of that process. And that's, it's, that weight is really what changes the game. Because if you're trying to process all of those emotions like all internally or by, you know, drinking or binge eating or whatever it is, it's, I don't think you're ever really quite processing it. That's not what you're doing. You're just burying it under more physical things and it's, it's not working. Um, the other thing that really, really helped me, and this is still, it's almost like a way of talking just to myself is to journal about it. Because once again, it's getting all of those thoughts and emotions out of your brain and onto something physical like paper. And it's, it's, it's really nice to journal because you can look back on it and you still can read through what you wrote. It's like you almost have your emotions like in a physical form, but you don't have to keep them locked inside of your brain and inside of your heart anymore. They're just there and they're not in you. They're just on something else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So definitely talking about it in some way, whether that's through written form or verbal speaking. I mean, that's really what changed the game for me. How do you know who you can trust to let those emotions out to? I mean, sometimes it's hard and difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to know who you can trust to be that safe space, that that person that you can let it out to. So how have you discovered who you can actually talk to and and who you can't? Because sometimes people in your lives, you can't talk to them and it's not on them. I mean, it's not because they're bad people. It's just because they don't have the capacity to deal with that. Yeah. I think I was really fortunate in that way. And like with my parents to know that I could trust them because like my mom, she has been through the depression. And in that regard, it's like finding someone that has been through it can understand, you know, that's, that's definitely one form of safe space. I knew that I could talk to my dad about it because he's actually a clinical psychologist. He went to school for God knows how many years to be (laughs) that professional. And so um, I knew that I could have a conversation with him. I never really went fully in depth with him because I never wanted him to like analyze me in his like Mm -hmm. psychologist brain. Um, But it was nice to know that 
it's like, because a part of it, I think, in having that safe space is just knowing that somebody understands, like they might not be able to like help you through it, but it's like just knowing that they have knowledge and what you're talking about is really, really, really helpful. Um, but the other people like outside of my parents that I knew I could trust were the people that have seen me go through some shit. Like they might not have been the person that I spoke to directly about that, that situation immediately after it happened, but they at least were by my side as I was going through it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, because you find your true friends through like by going through the hard stuff, you know? And so it's like, if they can see you go through those hard times and they're still in your circle, it's like, to me at that point, you know, that you can trust them enough to talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so how did you go from being depressed to a happiness coach that I, that's, that's a, that's a little bit of a, a, a leap. So how yeah. did that, how did that happen? It's, it's a long journey. I will say it's actually, I feel like it actually happened over a short period of time, but I feel like it's a long journey because so many things happened in that short amount of time. So when I was going through that really, really, really hard semester where I was super depressed, I was actually a chemistry major, which is still very, very alarming to hear myself say that. <laughs> and I hated it. And at that point, I had not started my blog, my website. Um, I was very much in this space of like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I hate what I'm doing now, but I don't know what direction to go in. And that was like, that was a huge component to my depression. And then in January of 2018, when I started that new semester, I had actually, I think the first thing that outside of the counseling that got me out of the depression was that I had changed my major. I was no longer a chemistry major. I had switched to once again, very surprising to hear myself say this, landscape architecture, which is <laughs> wild. <laughs> Because my whole life, I've actually really, really, really loved architecture. And I thought at the time, I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, that's going to be so amazing. I'm going to be the most epic landscape architect in the whole world. And essentially what I did was I dove headfirst into that. I was like, this, like, this is going to be what changes my life. At that point, that's what I thought was what was going to change everything. And so... I kind of, without any hesitations, I can't say without hesitations, but I kind of ignored the hesitations and I was just, I dove into it because at that point I was so ready to not be depressed anymore that I was like, if this is going to be what fixes it, like we're going all in. I'm not going to like half-ass this, you know, I was like, we're going to full blown, like be a landscape architect and dive into all of it. And so that semester was it was kind of like my freshman semester in landscape architecture. And then between that and the counseling, it got me through the rest of the school year. And that was, that's such, as much as I'm not doing either of those now, it's like, that was such a key part of the journey for me because I think if I had stuck in chemistry, I, it's like, I would have kind of delayed that journey from depression to happiness coach. So I'm so thankful that I made that choice, even though I'm no longer in landscape architecture, that was so key. And then after that semester ended, so last 
June of 2018. There's a lot of dates going around. I'm getting my, my brain's getting very confused, but <laughs> um, in June of 2018, I started my blog and I have always wanted to start my blog. It was just kind of like, I always wanted to write and just help people. That was always something that has kind of always been on my heart. Um, but I never did it. And then essentially that summer, I was like, you know what? We're just, we're going to, I mean, I'm not in school. I have some time. I was like, we're going to dive into this. We're just going to start a blog. And at that point I was writing about three different topics. I was writing about like college and organization and mental health, which is a very weird blog. Like looking back on it, like that's a very <laughs> strange, uh, comp, like mixture to have on a website, but that's what I was doing. And the mental health part of it, I was really excited about because I wanted to help people like take all the lessons that I had learned in that, that school year and help other people get through it. Because I know for a fact that I am not the only college student in the world that has been severely depressed or has severe anxiety and mm -hmm. is still trying to maintain, maintain being a college student. And so I was like, I want to help other people do that. And so I just started writing about mental health and it wasn't from like a, I'm a professional psychologist, like psychologist perspective. It was just, Hey, I've been through the shit. You're probably going through the shit. Here's my advice for you. Mm. And doing that blog, it actually helped me like take everything that I had learned in that school year and had gone through and actually kind of develop it further into really what I have like my core beliefs now that I teach with my happiness coaching and it was really 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 good for me and by no means was my blog at that point any good like it was a newbie blog I was right never about good in the step. beginning never it good never beginning. never is <laughs> like looking back on it I'm like and I was so proud of it when it started oh my gosh Megan I was so so proud of it at that point I was like this is amazing and looking it's, back I'm like this is trash <laughs> yeah that's how I feel when people are like I'm gonna go back and listen to the podcast from the beginning I'm like no don't do that please don't do yeah, that no that's I how I feel so. about my podcast too because like when I started it was actually like a little bit different than it is now and I'm like don't like just don't listen <laughs> to like the first episode it's like you'll probably get something from it but like don't compare it that's what it is now. Like, that's please, how I like, feel. Like, like, look at it with separate perspectives. <laughs> there was some like major nuggets of wisdom in the first like fifty episodes, or maybe thirty episodes. I'll give myself some grace. Thirty episodes of the podcast, but they were not nearly as good as what they are today. <laughs> it's a learning curve. It's just, you just got to keep rolling with it. And then you just got to like, thank your, your old self for, you know, trying to do something and then be like, okay, now we're a lot better. You just got to right. roll with the punches. <laughs> um, but doing that was so important for me. And it really, really helped me again, to find those like mental health views that I had. And then in September, September, August-ish, whenever I went back to school last year for my junior year, I was going into the landscape architecture major, like, full-blown. Because, like, the semester I had was kind of, like, the, the pre-semester to, like, get you started in it. And then, like, I really dived into it in that semester last year. And I realized within about two weeks that I hated it. I was like, this is not for me. I am miserable in this program. And that, that was really hard for me because 
literally a year before that, I was stuck in the chemistry program, which I hated and had the same emotions about. And I was like, I like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't want to do this. And I remember one day I was actually, I was driving to class and I was just sobbing in the car because I was like, I do not want to go. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, the work. I don't, I don't want to talk to anyone. It's like, I, I didn't want to do that at all. And that was, that was a very, very, very pivotal moment for me because it finally made me see that the college path at that point in time was not the one that I should have been on. And what I quickly realized was that I wanted to coach other people. I wanted to help people get through similar situations that I have gone through in my life. And I was like, I kind of made this like radical decision. I was like, you know what? I am going to start this blog into a business and I'm going to do coaching. And I just like dived into it again. It was kind of just like that head first belly flopping type of dive where you just go for it. And I just, I, I started because I also, I didn't know what I wanted to do in terms of college. I had absolutely no idea at that point in time. I was paying out of state tuition to be going there, which Mm. at Ohio state is $40,000 a year, mind you. So yeah, like literally barfing thinking about that amount of money right now. (laughs) And, um, I was like, I'm not going to pay this amount of money to not know what I want to do with this degree. Like, Because at that point, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to graduate. I don't know what, I'm, what major I want. I was like, we're not going to do this. And so actually just about a year now, I think we've just hit the mark. I made the decision and I went and I signed my leave of absence papers and I left college. And I was like, I am going to blog and be a coach full time. Now, obviously, it was not uh, an immediate, like, that's what we're going to do. Because like starting a business obviously takes a lot of effort and a lot more work than just being like, let's do it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but as I started that, I felt more in alignment with what I feel is my purpose in life than I ever have with anything else I've ever done. And I like, it was literally probably like a week after I signed my papers, I was like, holy shit, I am living my best life right now. I was like, I'm so happy doing this. And over time, I, I, I labeled myself as a mental health coach because I wanted to help people with anxiety and depression. And I finally kind of over time realized that it's like, yeah, I want to help people through that. But more so, I want to help people feel joy because I think you know, managing your mental illness is a different situation than actually feeling happy. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're two different things. And obviously you want one to coincide with the other, but they are two different levels. And so it's like, you know, instead of just helping people just manage their anxiety and their, their depressions, like why can't I help people on every level, even if they don't have mental illness, like figure out what really makes them happy mm-hmm. and achieve that and bring that into their lives. And that's that's how I got to what I'm doing now. Well, that has been quite the journey. But as we we are like towards the end of our time together, um, I would love to have you leave us with what 
uh, something or a collection of things that you would like the Inspired Women audience to know. Maybe it's something we didn't touch on, or maybe it's just kind of bringing it all together. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll leave you everyone with something that I, I teach all the time with my coaching is that happiness is not something that you wait for. It's something that you create in your life right now. And you can take steps right now to get through that. And I think those steps can vary a little bit. It's like, at one point, my step to to creating happiness in my life was finally opening up about all of my emotions and figuring out how to manage them because that changed so many things for me at that point. And then another step for me was realizing that college was not the path for me and leaving that behind for a little bit to pursue something else. It's like you don't have to wait for happiness to show up. It's not like you're living 30, 40, 50 years of your life for happiness to land in your lap. It doesn't work like that. You know, I'm 21 years old and I still have a lot of life left to live, but I'm feeling joyful as hell right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's something that you have to make the choice to make every single day. And it's not, it's not something that waits for you. Oh, I love that. It's not something that waits for you. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.